there are a lot of opportunities to build a business that just exists just below the surface of the things that are obvious to us. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 618. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm thrilled to have you here today. I am also thrilled to introduce today's guest, Millie Blackwell. Millie is the president and co-founder of Showcase Workshop. And Millie, I'm I'm just so excited to have you here because there's so many different topics that we'll be able to talk about, including how you handle a remote team. Because I got to tell you, I did not have one team member in my state or even in my own part of the country. But there's so much more to you than having remote team members. So I would love if you would share a bit about yourself and where you came from, how you got to where you are today. Of course. Thank you, Kim. That was a lovely introduction. Uh, so I guess I I introduce my entrepreneurial journey in three stages. Uh, it began on an apricot orchard in New Zealand. My parents were, I, were farmers and I grew up on an apricot orchard or farm. And uh, while farming isn't necessarily uh, something people immediately associate with entrepreneurship. My parents sort of pushed the boundaries a little bit in the 1980s. Uh, New Zealand's trade, the, the trade regulations were opening up and they were among the first people to start exporting fruit out of the country. And they also started a commercial jam and sauce operation out of our orchard. So I kind of credit my my own journey is having st- having started there and having started with them. Um, Millie, they were I, w- all, all, I would have never thought about an apricot orchard. I think you are the first person I've ever heard say apricot orchard. <laughs> um, well, you don't think of it as an orchard? I guess, and this is going to make me sound naive, but I guess I had never thought about where apricots came from. That is so embarrassing to admit. But I mean, I grew up in Western New York and we had apple orchards all around the state. And, you know, and what do you, well, you call it a vineyard. So I've seen plenty of, you know, vineyards, but I I just never thought about orchards of other types. Yeah, I think if it's got, if it has a stone in it um, or a a pip, a stone or a pip fruit, you can call it an orchard. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so what was stage two? I, it, um, I, I guess it, having grown up there, it, it never really occurred to me as uh, very interesting or special as most of us think of our childhoods as not really that unique, but um, just that part of the story, I think, especially the more time I've spent in the US, the more the more time I spend with people who don't grow up rurally. Uh-huh. Um, well, I'm in Ohio. So like, yeah. I, I'm being so I'm so sorry, I'm being so rude and interrupting, but I'm in Ohio. So I'm surrounded by corn, uh, corn and soy, soy fields. Um, but yeah, I just never thought about it. Have you ever seen you just said anything with a um with a pit? I want to know where I can find an avocado orchard. Have you ever seen one? Do they exist? Uh, yeah, and I think I actually don't know what the formal term for avocado is because they grow on a vine like um, kiwi. They're kind of on a tall vine. They 
almost like grow above your head, taller than a huh. than a grape. Um, and I don't know what the formal term for an avocado orchard is, whether it's a yeah, a grove maybe, avocado grove, not sure. But, yeah, they grow up tall and they hang down off, off a stem individually, not in clusters like grapes. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, where we go off on <laughs> random tangents about what you name the big plot of land where fruits and vegetables are planted. <laughs> My dad's going to be so proud right now. Uh-huh. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say – you know, farmers and entrepreneurship, because that was something that I never thought about until I moved out here to Ohio. I mean, there are tons of huge family owned farms all around me. And until I, I actually, right before I started my business, now I worked at Honda and some of my coworkers were from even more rural areas than I am in and their best friends were farmers and they would just have, they would, educate me on the huge expenses that went into farms because I had never even thought about it. I mean, it never occurred to me that tractors cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, more than our house. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we really under, I think even now that I have got more of an urban lifestyle, um, it's easy to forget quite how expensive it is to be a farmer um, for most farmers or everywhere that I've traveled, mostly around the world, it seems like being a farmer means carrying quite, carrying quite a lot of debt. Um, and yeah, we kind of underestimate that. And especially when we complain about how avocados going up in price by 50 cents, there's, um, there's a lot of expense on the production side as well that we just don't, don't really know to account for. Absolutely. And here's another embarrassing admission from me. I've been watching or listening to Little House on the Prairie while working for the last couple <laughs> of weeks. And I just never thought about how much stock they put into their seed. You know, they, they have to buy all the seed. They don't even know if they're going to be able to harvest the crop. I mean, a tornado could go through massive storms, wipe out the whole crop, and who knows what's going to happen next. But I guess the same is true for any entrepreneur. We, yeah, we well, sow the seeds and who knows what's going to happen. This is the one crazy thing I think about farming is farming and and aut- being an um, horticulture or agriculture is mostly you get paid once a year. So you get paid for your crop once a year. If you've got a bit of diversity, you might have two or three crops. But um, as you say, if a weather pattern ruins that crop or anything else ruins that crop, and I know that there were years like this for my parents where you might go one year with you get paid once a year but sometimes you might have to get paid once every two years or um you just can't you maybe didn't get the same amount as you got the year before it's a it's a really amazing budgeting skill to be paid once a year or once every other year mm-hmm. how have yeah. you seen that type of sowing the seed and reaping the harvest in your own entrepreneur journey yeah well i think um I think one of the things that really um, I took from my childhood is that my parents really saw they had their main business, they had the orchard, and then they kind of saw a lot of opportunities around the edges or it maybe in the shadows. That sounds wrong, <laughs> around, the, around the edges. So um, they had their main crops and then they diversified and built this jam and sauce business and they started with exporting when that was a new opportunity. And I think all through my own life, I've carried, I've carried that through and I've 
I've enjoyed seeing when I've worked for other people. I've really enjoyed seeing um, where people make the most of those those edges. And really, my first my first I had a few a uh, bit of a um, a, fi- a strange journey to end up ultimately in um, in the advertising industry. And several of the companies that I worked for. Um, made well the last one I worked for actually made a really strong position for themselves doing the things in agency life that kind of were unglamorous or kind of were around the edges so if you haven't worked in the advertising industry um, typically the big brand campaigns the things you see on tv or on billboards or even on the radio, those are those are called above the line, and they're considered sort of the glamorous things to be doing in the advertising industry, um, creating brand campaigns, those kinds of things. And then this agency I worked for quite proudly said that that they would do, they wanted to be responsible for all the work that the big agencies didn't want to do, and that mostly was internal communications. Sometimes it was for retail clients. It was promotional things in the stores. That's not really considered a glamorous job, and um, so I think that was something that I noticed uh, along the line of lots of different businesses that I worked in, that there are a lot of opportunities to build a business that just exist just below the surface of the things that are obvious to us, and um, and that's sort of where even where Showcase, my company now, Showcase Workshop, came from is this opportunity to help. So Showcase um, Showcase is a software product and um, it simplifies the sharing of sales and marketing material um, by putting them into a beautiful app. And that was really an opportunity um, for customers that I worked with in the advertising industry. They they would create this beautiful material, but there wasn't really a good way for them to share that material. They either had to print it and send it out to their people or their stores, uh, or they had to put it on an intranet. But there was really this opportunity just below the surface that this could be done a better way, this could be done more elegantly or more simply. Hmm. You have so many questions in my head right now. I warned you about this in the pre-chat. So I'm just going to go with the first one that I thought of. Where would billboards fall? Above the line or below the line? Uh, billboards are typically considered above the line. Huh. Um, yeah, most of the things that the general public will see, mm-hmm. um, any kind of mass mass communication, it's mostly considered above the line. And um, it's, a few, it's most of a decade now since I've actually been in an agency, but I would I would say that quite a bit of social media now probably falls into above the line. That's interesting. And the the reason I'm thinking about it is because I have a dream of building my dream house, which I will. I I just don't know when. Building my dream house on a big plot of land and putting up a big fence around it with a security, (laughs) security camera and everything. But a lot of the, a lot of the plots of land that I see have big massive billboards stuck up in the middle and you know the farmers oh. are making advertising money off of it because, or they're not making advertising money they're renting out that little plot of land to the company that manages the billboards you know yeah like, i don't want a billboard in the middle of my lot but i'm sure that's making them you know the farmer some good money i think it would definitely make them some money and um and maybe it's a good way to to get some additional revenue, but I for sure 
I'm with you that uh, my preference if I had a beautiful plot of land in the country would, would not be to have a billboard on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I might change my mind, though, if Chipotle says, you know, we'll give you free Chipotle for life if you let us put a billboard on your yard. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I probably still wouldn't do it, but, you know, it would be tempting. Um, So <laughs> tell me more about Showcase Workshop, because I'm curious about how the the marketing assets get shared. And actually, okay, here's where the, the multiple questions come in. How did you even get to the point that the app became an idea and how much work did it take to get it produced? Yeah. So I guess the point where it became an idea is that this last agency I was working in um, worked with a lot of retail clients and, um, in any retail business from, you know, clothing or department stores through to convenience stores, um, all of those kinds of businesses, each each promotional cycle, they produce a set of documents that they call schematics or promo guides. And the purpose of those those documents is so that the people on the sites, the customer service representatives, they know how to set up um, and display the products and most specifically how to set up and display the promotions. And this is all hugely operational. Again, it's fairly unglamorous part, you know, done the promotion, but now how do we want it set up in our stores and what do we want customers to see? Um, all of that has to be put together in a guide and sent out to the stores. And so that's where the, that's actually where the idea of showcase came from is um, I was working on some of those guides and it was 2010 when the iPad had just been launched. And myself and my boss at the time thought that wouldn't this be wouldn't an iPad be a much better way to do this than sending out paper? And to put that into context, just one of our customers was spending $200,000 a year on printing and shipping these promotional guides to their sites. So that's just one customer. If that one customer went and bought 100 iPads, they would quite quickly pay or they would have recovered the cost of them within a year. So... Um, that's where the idea came from, and we sort of we pitched this idea to the client at the time. Um, it was actually BP in in London, and that back in 2010, we um, we still were in that phase where we didn't want to have cell phones on um, near petrol pumps, and so the client thought this is quite a good idea. But if we can't have cell phones on the um, site, we probably can't have iPads either. So it didn't land with them at that time, but the idea we spun off um, from the agency, my boss at the time, and two other founders, we spun that off into Become Showcase, and um, we started pitching it as a tool for sales teams, actually. So marketing managers who are creating brochures and promotional videos and data sheets, they could put that all into an app and send it out to their sales team. And that's really that was really where Showcase went from there. But um, curiously, in 2010, 2010, no, sorry, 2010 is the beginning. 2016, we did manage to get BP to end up using it for their schematic guides. That sort of relaxed their rules around cell phones on the on the forecourt, and um, 
they decided actually this is pretty a good idea now. So eventually we did get we did get it used for the original idea. That's amazing. And you've actually got me thinking. I was at the grocery yesterday. We do a lot of online ordering now, but I was at the grocery and okay, I was walking down the soda aisle. Family wanted soda, I had to get it. But while I was there, I was actually thinking about those Super Bowl displays. You know, Coca-Cola puts a lot of money into making these fantastic looking displays, which I always feel bad when I see a customer taking one of those, you know, cases of soda off the top because it looked like a fantastic flag or football or whatever the holiday is. But I never thought about the schematics that went behind those displays. Put this pack there, put this pack here. Now you have to get a diet pack or whatever, you know. I think you should definitely not feel bad because that's exactly what the, the promotion's designed to do. They want you to take those whole boxes um, and the store should be actually quite thrilled that they get to replenish it because and that means the promotion has worked. Um, and the other thing that maybe people don't know who haven't got a retail background is not only have they um, designed that display, but Coca-Cola or whoever the whoever the um, advertiser is, has also paid for that placement. So that's why it's so critical for the retailer to get it right, is they've agreed to run the promotion and and the advertiser has paid, much like they would pay for a billboard space, they have paid to have their products advertised in bulk at the end of the aisle in the supermarket. So don't feel bad about it. Actually think there's an effective promotion. Someone's taken the whole box off the top. <laughs> well, I, I went to art school, so I'm an artist by background. And it, it just feels sometimes like I'm taking part somebody's art. <laughs> but I, I love how you said that, that that's what it's meant to do. You know, that's and although this isn't directly related, I didn't realize until I went back to my um, hometown, I, for any of you in the Northeast, you got to give, you got to let me know that you're listening and that you know what I mean when I say Wegmans. Are you familiar with Wegmans, Millie? I'm not, no. Okay. If you ever go, if you ever go cross country and wind up in Western New York or even Pennsylvania, Virginia, there's this fantastic grocery store chain called Wegmans. And when I went back to New York one time, my husband, uh, it's soda again, okay? People don't mind me. My husband's just addicted to his Mountain Dew. So he asked me if I could pick up some Mountain Dew for him. So I go into the store and I'm in the soda aisle and all I see is WPOP. It's their generic. And, and it's also pop in that, in that area of the country. But all I can find is WPOP. So, and I, I had to search around for the brand names and I got home and my sister was a grocery manager and I was like, why can't I find it? And she's like, well, they, they just charge so much for the shelf space because, you know, and, and the, sometimes the companies just don't want to pay to get up at that line of sight. And I, it had never occurred to me. I knew <laughs> that the, that the shops paid for the inventory, but it never occurred to me that the brands that are being represented had to pay for the shelf space. I know, I know. And when you think about yourself as a consumer, it's quite um, it's quite complex, isn't it? Not only do I have all this choice, but my, my choices are also being slightly, um, I guess manipulated is not the word I want to use, but my choices 
choice is being presented to me in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to invite you to join the Work Smarter, Not Harder Challenge. Over the course of 30 days, these free, yes, free, short videos will teach you a few of the systems and strategies I set up in my business so I can get away from my computer and back to the people I love. I invite you to sign up now at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Again, you can sign up at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Actually, now that I think about it, I've been, I've been trying to teach my kids how brand name doesn't always, or it, it doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. It just doesn't. But now I feel sort of bad knowing that the brand names are paying for the premium space. Whereas, you know, the generic brands, hey, they're putting them up there because they can. They're not paying for that premium. Hmm. <laughs> what have been your biggest wins while building? I mean, I would have to think that BP, but what other big wins can you think of during the growth of Showcase? Well, honestly, so many, so much of it feels like a win to have taken just, you know, I guess a lot of people who start businesses feel this way too, to have taken an idea and to have created a business out of it alone feels, um, feels like a big win. But I think coming from, um, so, Showcase was founded in New Zealand and I moved out to California in sort of um, the, uh, there was an on and off nature of my time in California for the first couple of years. So I really started coming here seriously in 2014. And um, so the business was founded in New Zealand and really getting it to the, to the point in the U S where um it could warrant me being here more often and now basically being here full time. Um, I guess that's one of our really big wins to have taken a little idea from a little South Pacific nation and have brought it to the US feels like a huge win. Um, And just sort of knowing that that's possible. um, And for me, the product that Showcase is, it is an interesting product to solve to solve this dis- content distribution problem for f- stores with a network of 50 or 100 stores, which is really what you're dealing with in New Zealand, but then to take that and and scale it up and impact, you know, a network of 1,200 stores, which is one of our biggest customers, is um, is really fascinating and really rewarding and um, sort of the reason that you build set out to build a software product like this to to really solve problems at scale. So yeah, bringing it over here and um, starting to build our client base in the US was really one of the biggest wins for me. You need to know, if you don't already know, that I have chronic idea disorder. So forget- I do know this. I love that statement. <laughs> okay. So while you were just saying that, you got me thinking because my, as I said, my background as an artist, I was an interior architect for a decade and it always amazed me. And with all respect to all the brands that I worked with, it always amazed me how much waste there was actually in all the catalogs. I mean, every year there were, um, you know, products that were being dropped and those cut sheets went into the recycle or into the trash. There were, you know, carpets, the carpet designs that were being wiped out and those samples went who knows where. Like, it makes me sad to think about all the waste. But you got me wondering if there's a way that 
showcase workshop could even be working with these um, interior products agencies and just be saving the environment from, you know, just with all the, I understand the benefit of having the fabric in your hands and being able to feel it, but how much money would it save not having to make all these, you know, six inch by six inch samples? <laughs> we, um, we actually do work with a few customers in the, generally in the building materials industry. Mm. And um, one of them is a garage door manufacturer. And it's actually quite, this specific example that you brought up is quite fascinating. They, you know, they have all the different kinds of finishes that you could have on the garage door. And instead of actually issuing those as little, as you say, little six by six inch tiles, they have put if you go into their showcase, you can blow up and have a whole, all the samples are in showcase now. So instead of it just being a little six by six inch tile, now it's the whole size of your computer or the whole side of your iPad or whichever kind of device you're using. And um, I thought that was a really fascinating example of how to use showcase. Um, And the paper thing that you brought up, this was something that I didn't, I, I won't honest I will honestly say we didn't set out to save the save the trees but it's something to um, that occurred to us quite quickly is the opportunity to save paper that showcase presents um, and because because of that idea we actually ended up setting up um, an environmental program and um, we consider it sort of doubling the impact of our customers so for every page that they view and showcase that counts as a as a Essentially, it's a piece of paper that they would have otherwise printed, so a piece of paper saved. And um, we build up credits and we plant trees. Um, We make a donation to a company that plants trees. So we're kind of doubling the impact of our customers who use Showcase. They're saving the paper in the first place and they're adding more trees to the stock um, as time goes on. So we've we've donated about $20,000 in the two years that we've had the program. And, um, yeah, it's that occurred to us as well quite quickly that there's this opportunity to have quite a big environmental impact as well as just a practical impact. I absolutely love that. In full disclosure, I went seven years without having a printer in my house. Good for you. That's awesome. It was amazing. Okay. And I did <laughs> buy one a few months ago. I have to say having a printer scanner bag in the house is also amazing. I think I've used the printer four times since I bought it. But I just got tired of having to send thing send um prints over to the the local print shop and pick them up. Usually I want it right now. And especially with a lot of projects I'm working on, it was just chronic idea disorder is not helped when you have the idea, you want to get it done, but you have to send send it over to the print house. And then chances are, and this is usually what happened with me, I would forget because I would move on to the next idea and now they're <laughs> calling. And I, full disclosure, I, I don't leave my house nearly as much as I should. I mean, I'm like Sandra Bullock from the net. I don't, I don't even know what my neighbor across the street looks like because the other neighbors moved out like three or four months ago. I have no idea who moved in across the street. I know there's a car in the driveway. <laughs> I have no idea if it's a man or a woman, and that's so embarrassing. Um, I sound like a hermit, don't I? <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit, since it's your words, not mine. Oh, it's okay. Um, <laughs> I, I fully admit I am a mom hermit. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I totally get the chronic idea disorder though, and I just I absolutely love that phrase. Um, I set I set um, I'm sure you've read the book The Happiness Project, or you at least know about it. I know about and it. The, yeah, the um, the concept is you know that she, for every for the, every month of the year, she set about doing take practicing one tactic that could potentially make her more happy. Mm-hmm. And um, this year, I set myself kind of. Well, I called it a leadership project. So every month I tried to work on an aspect of leadership that I could, an area that I could improve in. And, um, one, and that the theme I had for July was no new ideas because like you, I do have this chronic idea disorder. And, um, so I, I didn't allow myself to implement any new tactics. I didn't read any business books. I didn't listen to any business podcasts and, um, I can say that there's quite a freeing feeling in that. I read about recycling and I read a little book from 1904 about etiquette. Um, and <laughs> I, I read about love. the National Park. Awesome. I, I can only think about 1904 etiquette. You know, they, they must be turning in their graves looking at, you know, I'll just pick on my kids for a second. And I have good kids. Don't get me wrong, but etiquette or accepted etiquette, maybe I should say is completely different now than it was then. This is a total tangent and I apologize, Millie, but I was, I I don't very often get sidetracked by going on news websites, but I was on one last night and there was an article about Prince Harry and Meghan. I'm so bad with names. You all know who I'm talking about, his wife. And their, their etiquette is actually getting them is making it so that they're not getting invited to parties anymore because there's usually assigned seating at these parties and they ignore the assigned seating at the yeah. dinner table so that they can sit next to each other. And then their PDAs are just really uncomfortable for, for the hosts. And, <laughs> and it's just, I was just cracking up because I'm like, you know, I would want to sit next to my husband too. I understand why they're not sitting them next to each other. It's, you know, it's a social event and there's a reason why they do it. I mean, I would love to put my husband sometimes at the other end of the table just so he could talk to people besides me. But I do understand <laughs> the benefit of sitting next to each other. For sure. And I can only say of 1904 etiquette that uh, I think at least half of the book I've been breaking the rules. Um <laughs> Yeah, etiquette has certainly changed, or accepted etiquette has certainly changed since 1904. Mm-hmm. Didn't actually mention about whether you should sit next to your husband at dinner parties. It, it did have a section on how to be a hostess, but it, it didn't specifically cover where husbands and wives should sit. But I'm like you. Sometimes, so mostly I prefer to sit next to my husband, but I, I understand the benefits of why at parties it's nice to sometimes break couples up and have new and different kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny to look back at, you know, and we don't have cable anymore, but I remember growing up and watching, you know, the TV shows that my parents would have watched when they were my age. And they, and, you know, there may have been a quote mom and dad in the show, but if they showed the bedroom, the beds were always separate. (laughs) And then I would go over to my grandparents' house, my dad's parents, and sometimes their beds would be together and sometimes they would be apart. And it just... I never understood, but I also never asked. 
I'm still sort of curious about, I mean, and they both passed now, but did they have a fight? Was that why their beds were apart? You know, it's just sort of funny to think about it. I want to go back to the, to what you said about July and, and no new ideas. I love how you added in the no new implementation. That's what gets me in the most trouble is I have ideas all day, every day. And it's the implementation that got me into so much trouble for so long, but I've got that sort of under control now. I I would be curious to know what would happen if I went a month with no implementation. <laughs> well, I, I, I issue you the challenge to give it a go. But um, I think the thing that really made the difference this sort of has, I guess we've been, I've been building up to this month of no new ideas but for the last two about the last two years maybe a little bit more we've been using um a philosophy or a print uh yeah philosophy called the 12 week year and uh, it's a book written by some canadians mm-hmm. and um so the principle is that every you do your planning based on a 12 week cycle and you implement on a 12 week cycle so during the course of a calendar year you kind of have four four execution periods each of 12 weeks and that 13th week is a sort of a review and a washout week um and just getting into that rhythm actually has forced me to plan and say well it's only three months I've made some decisions I'm going to get these things done in three months and going kind of repeating that cycle has led to the point where I've gotten quite good at it, good at the 12 weeks and sticking to the things that I decide on. And then I've actually almost learned how to jam those jam so much into those 12 weeks that I almost can't fit extra things in. So when I get distracted by a new tactic, I've started to realize that it's got to compromise something I've already decided on for the 12 weeks. Um, so I guess I would say for, as someone with generally with chronic idea disorder and who's managed to get it somewhat under control that that changing to that that 12 week or that three month sprint it's sort of it's just enough for somebody with with execution disorder that you um, you you sort of it's a far enough horizon that you can see it out it's an it's a short enough horizon that it doesn't feel like you can't see the end and um, once you get into the role of it it helps you think well it's only another whatever six weeks or two months away until I can decide on the next lot of ideas and start implementing those so um, I maybe would that book maybe would be a recommendation uh, just if, if it's something you actually want to deal deal with oh my gosh <laughs> it is so absolutely something I want to do and I'm I'm loving Okay, I I know sometimes I timestamp these episodes, but we are recording mid-August. My kids start school next week. I've been supposed to be working on a course because I'll be speaking on stage and I would like to promote the course while I'm there. But then I had, my team was working on um, branding for a client and getting all their social media profiles looking better. And I sort of got inspired to create a lookbook for Pinterest so while I'm supposed to be recording this course on Pinterest, all of a sudden there goes a week creating a, a lookbook. And that was not on the agenda. I could have had how many modules recorded and off to the yeah. editor during that time. So Millie, I just want to thank you. I think actually, because I have so many um ideas that I've already committed to, I'm actually going to take it 
for September, October, November. I'm going to oh, use I love a, it. I <laughs> the 12 week sprint and the no new idea implementation. I'm going to combine them both together and I I got to say I'm scared, but I'm also very excited. <laughs> so there there's my if journal you need will it. Be, uh, he, if I need if a kick in the butt, I'll go to you. Buddy, you can send me an email. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, this episode will be out a couple months after I start this, but I would love for you to go to the show notes page, which you'll be able to find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP618 and give me a kick in the butt because I guarantee you that by the time this episode comes out, um, I'm going to need that. I, I'll be wait, September, October. Oh, I think I just committed to four months. I think I said the end of the year. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'll be halfway through this no new idea cycle. I'm going to need your help people. And I would love to, to actually, I'm not wrapping this up yet, but I would love to hear what ahas and just what amusement. I mean that in the best way you've found out of this episode so far. So be sure to head on over to the show notes page again at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp618 and share your comments down below the show notes. Millie, what are you most excited about as we uh, wrap up 2019 and even look into 2020? Well, um, so the thing that um, I've been working really hard on over here is um, building our presence among uh convenience retail and grocery stores so um, I'm going to have to look up Wegmans for sure now that you've mentioned that name but um, so since we have had BP start to use showcase for their schematics and promotions we started to build on that and um, subsequently we have uh, ExxonMobil, Shell, um, Arco which is a brand out here on the west coast and um, Speedway which is one of the east coast brands we slowly started to build up our presence among um, convenience store and grocery and so um, I'm excited to just keep working on that that's my big that's my big north star for the next two years um, and so that's what I'll be working steadily toward awesome well along with Wegmans you'll have to add Hannaford Kroger and Meyer. and I can actually give you a Hannaford contact probably but that's so <laughs> Thank huge you so much yeah yeah <laughs> What are you um, reading right now? Oh, could you say that again? Sorry. What are you reading right now? Oh, right now? Well, I decided actually to carry my no new ideas over with me another month as well because I just – I loved the the freedom and the sense of um, – especially the sense of freedom it gave me with my reading because I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to a lot of audiobooks in the car, but I um, I have very little reading time and so – changing my reading habit from usually delving into a business book to just avoiding business books made the the reading time that I do have so much more pleasurable. So for books, um, not so much audiobooks, but for books, I've maintained my theme of no new ideas. So that means no new business books. So at the moment, I'm reading a book called 101 Ways to Go. I think it's called 101 Ways to Go Without Plastic or to reduce plastic. So it's about getting your getting zero plastic or zero single use plastic in your life. Um, that's what I'm reading about. And it's, it's rather thrilling and makes me look at my takeaway coffee cups 
in a totally different way. Um, I'm looking around my office feeling really ashamed. <laughs> oh, no shame, no shame. Um, well, it's even things one, like, you know, I picked up a prescription yesterday and it's, you know, how can I ask the pharmacy? I, I just don't even want to think about how many pill bottles, you know, are thrown out. Right. Yeah. I think pill bottles, I mean, recycling is a whole other story and the book's talking about this right now. But um, I think pill bottles, apart from the caps, the, the bottle itself is recyclable. You could always take it back. Um, one of the suggestions in the book for things like soda or makeup products is um, that we can send the packaging back to the company that we got it from. Yeah. <laughs> and, and their point is that for many other industries – Sorry, I'm turning this into a recycling show. No, I love um, it. <laughs> for many other industries like our cars and our and our electronics, we we and the company pay for the recycling of those at the point of purchase. So you buy a new computer, there's a charge on there to recycle it. There's a charge included in the price of your car to recycle it at the end of its life. But um, companies that put things into plastic, they don't pay a price for that. And I guess ultimately as consumers, we don't pay a price for that. But then now we are paying the price for it with all of this plastic and single-use plastic. So um, that's that's one of the one of the suggestions put forward is um, there could be a price at the st- there could be a price at the start to recycle it at the end of its life, or as the consumers, we might decide to send the packaging back to the company and, and have them think about it. That's such an interesting thought. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> and I um, really I'm sure never thought bottles. of I'm sure you could refill those. Well, that that brings up a, like, a, you have to wonder, would the pharmacy allow that? Because I'm sure there's some type of FDA type of, I'm sure. Yeah, you're right. I'm sure there is. But I want to thank you too, because I, well, I have stopped listening to podcasts for a little bit, just because it was feeding too much into chronic idea disorder. Just, just like you said, I mean, I, I kept on hearing ideas on the podcast and then would need to go implement them. Yes, I did say need. I felt like I needed (laughs) to go do that right then. So right now my cue is backing up. I felt so good because it was getting ahead and now it's, it's getting backed up again. But I had never thought about, you know, if I wasn't reading business books, I could still be reading nonfiction because the alternative to business books to me was always just going straight over to fiction. And I'm, I do love fiction, but I'm just not in that place right now. Like, yeah. But I did read The Alchemist this year, which was amazing. I've read that book. Yeah. It's a great book. Yeah. 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 Well, the other thing that I'm, um, the other thing that I'm reading at the moment is I, I'm not a citizen yet, but I'm on the path to be American citizen one day. And um, my husband and I bought a stack of books with titles like How to Be an American Citizen, or Handbook for Americans. So I'm learning a lot about how the, poli- the, uh, how the political system works, um, all sorts of things about really being an American citizen. So that's the other things on my reading list at the moment. How the political system works or how it should work? (laughs) (laughs) How the principles of the political system, let's say that. Okay, that's good. I like that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and just about everything that you are doing? 
Sure. So sh- my company is Showcase Workshop, and that's showcaseworkshop.com. And that's everything about the app and the company. And then me personally, I can always be found on LinkedIn. And I think the LinkedIn address is LinkedIn forward slash in, I-N forward slash Millie Blackwell. Awesome. Listeners, there will be links in the show notes, which again, you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP618. Millie, thank you so much for this such fun conversation. I know that was not grammatically correct, but for everything from orchards to to grocery displays and book choices and chronic idea disorder, this has been truly entertaining and you know just very insightful for me. And I just want to thank you. It was such a pleasure. I had a really good time. Do you have a parting piece of advice that you can offer to the listeners? Well, this is my standard advice that I give when anyone asks me this question, and that is to stay hydrated. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Bye.